everyone has to have a voice. And it's only in that kind of environment that contemporary innovation can really take place. That's James Hayward, president and CEO of Stony Brook-based Applied DNA Sciences, talking about the winning formula for innovation in the 21st century. Just one of the interesting topics we'll talk about today on Spark, the Innovate Long Island podcast. Come learn something new. This is Spark, the Innovate Long Island podcast, featuring up-close conversations with the inventors, investors, executives, and entrepreneurs fueling the dynamic Long Island innovation economy. Spark is a production of Innovate Long Island, the home of exceptional thought in Nassau and Suffolk and beyond. Today's episode is made possible by the generous support of Communications Strategy Group. James Hayward is the chairman, president, and CEO of Stony Brook-based Applied DNA Sciences, where he brings decades of experience in biotechnology, life sciences, and consumer product development to the C-suite. A graduate of both SUNY Oneonta and Stony Brook University, where he earned a PhD in molecular biology and later was granted an honorary doctor of science, he once headed up product development for the Estee Lauder Corporation and was also once Inc. Magazine's Entrepreneur of the Year. He's also a member of the Long Island Technology Hall of Fame, and we're thrilled to have him here with us today. Welcome, Jim. Oh, Greg, you honor me with that introduction. Thanks very much. Hey, listen, uh, I have been honored to write and uh, cover, write about you and cover the company all these years. I think I started writing about you six or seven years ago. And when I did, Applied DNA was, uh, you were all in on supply chain authentication. You had your, uh, your proprietary technology that would take DNA markers and put it into certain products. And then you had the technology to track them and, and read those markers uh, at either end of the supply chain. It was also good for anti-theft purposes. Uh, I know you guys are deep into uh, other verticals now, but you're still in that supply chain authentication field. Oh, we are very much, in fact. And, um, you know, across a diverse set of industries from protecting cash flow to protecting the pharmaceutical industry and consumers against counterfeit drugs. And nowadays, with the um, movement, the social movement toward cannabis, we're uh, protecting cannabis to ensure that black market cannabis does not enter the legitimate legal supply chains as well. So it's still very much a part of our business. Now, I know uh, I've written about your uh, Vandalia research acquisition back in 2015. This was a company, I think it was, was it Virginia or West Virginia? I can never remember, but um, it was a, a $1.5 million acquisition. And I like to call it the best $1.5 million ever spent in, on Long Island history because you guys were already in the DNA chain manufacturing business, uh, but they had a specific technology that helped you really kick things into gear. Isn't that right? They did. They were an interesting little company. They were a, a spin-out from a university, a small group of people who um, really made an interesting design of a piece of equipment we already had, but we liked what they did. 
and it uh, really propelled us along. The uh, device that they made, uh, the name of it now, thanks to COVID, is more familiar to consumers than you would have expected, but it's called a PCR machine. And PCR stands for polymer chain reaction, but uh, the name means not much. The fact is it's used to amplify DNA. And that is the basis of really the gold standard test for COVID. Well, we have kind of turned PCR totally on its head and instead of using it in microscopic wells to look at very small amounts of DNA, we manufacture DNA liters at a time uh, using very large-scale PCR. And that's what Vandalia had done, is they had developed a, a terrific device that can be used even at the point of care. Let's say you're making gene therapy for a patient you could use this device to manufacture the required genes on the spot right uh, next to the patient. And uh, we use now extensions on that technology that we've developed in multiple ways to manufacture DNA for all kinds of, of unusual applications. And you actually launched a, uh, a subsidiary specifically to focus on these verticals, a Linear RX, um, and that was one of two spinoffs you've actually launched in the last couple of years. It was Linear RX that was uh, focused primarily on your capabilities in the design and manufacture of uh, PCR DNA, uh, DNA by PCR, I should say. Um, and then, of course, there was the spinoff of Applied DNA Clinical Labs in uh, just last year. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Well, Linear RX is really using the basic science of our company, which is manufacturing DNA via PCR and the kind of DNA that produces we call linear DNA. And Linear RX is a play on the RX, which is the symbol for prescription. It is the use of linear DNA in therapeutic applications, therapeutic and diagnostics. Now we, uh, with the arrival of COVID, we took the opportunity to pivot. And uh, we pivoted toward COVID and our clinical laboratory developed an extremely sensitive assay for uh, COVID using our own design. Okay, Jim, I have a question for you as somebody who is not a molecular biologist. I do know there is messenger RNA and that it is a vaccine tool. There is also linear DNA and that is sort of a parallel to messenger RNA. Tell me what those things are and tell me where you guys come in. Sure. You know, uh, goodness can come from all kinds of things. And, and COVID has brought us some good things. It definitely moved the cause of nucleic acid therapies ahead by a decade or more. And one of those therapies is messenger RNA. It is a form of nucleic acid that, that functions just inside the cell, in the cytoplasm, and it allows a code to be produced as a protein. 
and that protein then serves to immunize the body in the case of a messenger RNA vaccine like the one from Moderna or the one from BioNTech and Pfizer. Where applied DNA focuses, doesn't surprise you from the name, is on DNA and nucleic acid, not messenger RNA. And in fact, DNA codes for messenger RNA. So it's all related, but DNA functions not in the cytoplasm, but in the nucleus of the cell. So what we produce, we call linear DNA, and it's produced by a very simple, really pure enzyme reaction. Very simple ingredients, and it's very simple to do. And the result is extraordinarily pure, but it is linear DNA. Now, that's a new concept for a lot of people because they may already think of all DNA is that squiggly line in kind of a straight row. But in fact, in production, DNA is almost always made using bacteria, and bacteria produce a certain kind of circular DNA called plasmids. Now, we've taken a position really against using circular or plasmid DNA because of its bacterial origins and the additional risk that comes when you use bacteria to manufacture a, a drug. And we believe our form of DNA is safer, purer, cleaner, cheaper, and faster. And so this is the main ingredient, I think, in a new COVID vaccine for cats. And you guys are about to start a trial. Yes, we designed a number of vaccines along with our partner in Italy, a brilliant biotech company called Tacus, and they have a division for animals called Evivax. And we designed a number of vaccines that could be made using linear DNA, and we have tested them in mice and shown that they are extraordinarily efficacious. However, this would be the first time for a linear DNA product to get through FDA. So human trials we knew would be further off in the, in the future, and we knew many other companies like Moderna and Pfizer were involved in that race. But uh, COVID infects cats as well. And we know now that any time an infection and they can transmit it. They transmit it uh, well from cat to cat, but there has never been a document, documented transfer from cats to human. But remember, this virus had its origins in bats and went through an exotic animal called a pangola before it found its way to humans. So from my own point of view and from other scientists, Cats incubating the COVID virus may not be the safest approach to eradicating uh, COVID and preventing the further mutation of COVID. We saw, for example, when COVID infected in Denmark, the minks, that it mutated quite readily. Now, Mutation in cats has not been documented, but they can be infected for a long time, which is a little worrisome. So our goal is to both 
treat the cat, prevent the cat from uh, suffering an infection, but also to protect humans by ensuring that the domestic animal they love and sleeps at their feet is not a source of virus. Does a successful test of a cat vaccine represent a step towards human trials for the linear DNA vaccine? Yes, exactly. It would do two things for us. So if we, we are planning two trials in cats, one starts very soon, possibly before the end of February. And uh, that trial will show that the vaccine is not toxic and that it provokes an immune response similar to what we saw in mice early on, which has us very excited about the prospects. The second trial will show that it actually is effective against the transmission of the virus. And it, it is possible that from there, we would get an emergency use authorization uh, in order to be able to uh, use this in domestic cats. And we'll acquire data along the way about the function of our vaccine, a linear DNA vaccine against COVID in cats that will be useful for our uh, applications in humans. Well, here's a left field question. I know that they use lab mice because DNA wise, they're fairly similar to humans. Where do cats rate on that scale? It's hmm. an interesting question. Um, the, the reason why cats are relevant, and I was part of a, a WHO task force of the early stages of the COVID pandemic, where we were discussing animal models to help develop a vaccine. And uh, the best animal models are ferrets and minks and cats. And the reason is because they have a receptor for the virus, which is very similar to the human receptor that the virus binds to to infect humans. So, um, you know, they're, they're a great model for understanding how the virus enters the cell and infects the animal. In that way, an even better model than the ubiquitous lab rat. That's, that's true. But, you know, there are interesting twists in mice these days because of the amount of genetic engineering that uh, you can make mice that are called xenographic mice. These are mice that um, don't have the histocompatibility function that prevents uh, tissue rejection or causes tissue rejection. So these mice are capable of, of actually growing human tissue in the mouse, and that makes them wonderful models for the study of tumors. And um, so the, the mouse will never be replaced by, um, you know, a higher organism because of this great ability to make mice that accept all kinds of tissues. 
Wow. It also makes them good subjects for Stephen King novels. <laughs> yes. uh, now, back to human biology for a second. I know that uh, you guys have also developed a, uh, a COVID test that you use in-house. You, you've developed a COVID test that you administer to employees and their families exclusively, I believe. Yeah, we developed this COVID diagnostic early on, and we were very shrewd about the way we designed it. We designed it to look at the gene for the spike protein that everyone knows about, the spike that gives the coronavirus its, its name. And uh, by doing so, we produced an exquisitely sensitive diagnostic tool, which can detect as little as six-tenths of a single virus particle. So it's exquisitely sensitive, but it's also very specific. We have tested it versus over 22,000 different mutants of the COVID virus and shown that we detect them all. And uh, so we offer a surveillance program that we call Safe Circle. And this is not a diagnostic test, but it's a test on a population. So if you're interested in making sure your school is safe or your company is safe or your government is safe, that COVID is not entering into that population, what we do is pool samples of five people and we test. You have, this is a commercial product? Oh yeah. It was approved by the FDA in May with an EUA, an emergency use authorization. And uh, we manufacture that kit ourselves and we sell it to diagnostic labs that are certified. But it can also be used in a non-diagnostic way that's called surveillance to test big populations. So by pooling five people at a time, if any single person in the pool is infected, we'd know. But if no one is infected, why, then we've cleared five people that much faster. So it's a great utility to monitor a cohort or a population. So with that asset in hand, we wanted to ensure our employees were safe, that our workplace was safe and comfortable for everyone. And we decided, first of all, to offer the test. We haven't mandated it, but we offer the test to all of our employees every single day. And then we realized they'd be that much more comfortable and we'd be more assured of lowering their risk as employees by testing their whole family as well. So virtually every day we test all of our employees and all of their family members, and it's done a great job of keeping in infection transmission rates extraordinarily low in our small group here. But we do the same for families in the community. We provide our kit to Stony Brook University Hospital, which surveys all of their um, medical personnel in the hospital and medical school every week using our diagnostic tool. There's an added benefit as well that comes from our kit. So the FDA pointed out uh, about three weeks ago 
that of the 300 some odd diagnostic assays that have been given emergency use authorizations, there are only two which are sensitive to some of the variants that are of concern to epidemiologists and to the healthcare industry at large. And we are one of those two assays. So our assay now is being utilized by a number of laboratories who are specifically interested in finding the variants that have entered into the U.S. or arisen in the U.S. And our assay is also quite useful in that regard. So it's turned out to be a great tool. That seems like a good place to ask this question, Jim, because there are so many potential answers. What is your definition of innovation? Hmm. That's a, a great question. And um, I think it's um, a culture within a group of people that uh, allows for a vision to be shared and improved upon by everybody who's participating. You know, you really can't innovate. Gone are the days of the rocket scientists who's hired by an academic institution because of one individual's great capabilities. Nowadays, it's translation. It's the ability to recruit a cross-functional team. And to do so and really innovate, you have to be able to share a vision and inspire people to contribute to that vision, to make it their own. Everyone has to have a voice. And it's only in that kind of environment that contemporary innovation can really take place. All right, so with all that in mind then, Jim, what is next for Applied DNA? Is it a new innovative product, a new innovative way of thinking? Uh, is it an entirely new vertical? Where do you guys go from here? No, we want to really contribute to the healthcare of the world and to the safety of the world. So uh, now we need to demonstrate that our linear DNA works well in humans, that it's safe and affordable and has certain advantages. So for example, uh, we just showed in our preparation for our cat trials of a COVID vaccine that we can freeze dry that vaccine and ship it across the country totally unrefrigerated. It's extraordinarily stable. So using those advantages and our know-how to benefit humanity is what we're intent on doing. So, um, uh, you know, we're working with some of the leading biotech companies in the world on their uh, plans for nucleic acid therapies. And um, we want to be an effective player and really change the way the world receives its future medicines. He is Dr. James Hayward at Applied DNA Sciences. They are out to save the world. And I am Gregory Zeller at Spark, the Innovate Long Island podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. A pleasure, Greg Grilling. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for joining us at Spark, the Innovate Long Island podcast. 
To recommend a guest, contact us at editor at innovateli.com. Want to refresh and rebuild your brand? Visit our sponsor, communicationstrategygroup.com forward slash innovate.